Welcome to Music History Monday for September 13th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Leopold Stokowski. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the death on September 13, 1977, 44 years ago today, of the British conductor Leopold Anthony Stokowski in Nether Wallop, Hampshire, United Kingdom, 67.6 miles, give or take, southwest of London. Born in London on April 18th, the maestro and I share that day and month of birth, 1882, Stokowski was 95 years old when he died. He was still recording for Columbia Records at the time of his death. His contract with Columbia would have kept him in the recording studio until he was 100 years old. Other business. Before we can move on to the fascinating life and career of Leopold Stokowski, who has been called, for reasons both good and bad, quote, possibly the best-known symphonic conductor of all time, unquote, we have a few other September 13th-oriented events to address. First, we have a bit of leftover business from my Music History Monday post of August 30th, two weeks ago. That post, entitled, Oh, Behave, focused on the misadventures and misbehavior of a handful of musicians from the world of rock and roll, pop, and rap slash hip-hop. Well, under the heading of, with clients like these, who needs enemas, let's observe another bit of date-appropriate misbehavior by further rock and roll paragons of virtue, the group Nirvana. For our information, Nirvana recorded for Geffen Records, the same record company that recorded Guns N' Roses. Two weeks ago, we noted that the Guns N' Roses guitarist, Izzy Stradlin, got himself in trouble for urinating on the galley floor of a U.S. air flight en route from Indianapolis to Los Angeles. The Geffen Record flack, dispatched to mop up the mess, one Bryn Bridenthal claimed that, quote, Stradlin relieving himself in the galley was just his way of expressing himself, unquote. It would appear that the good people at Geffen Records understood that their bad boy rock and roll clients were neither the most intelligent nor the most mature people on the block, and they were prepared to deal with them patiently and gently, like a zookeeper tending a wolverine. But on September 13th, 1991, we as a community discovered that not everyone was willing to tolerate such behavior. On September 13th, 1991, exactly 30 years ago today, Geffen Records threw a launch party for Nirvana's new album, Nevermind. On the cover of the album is a photo of a naked infant, a boy, underwater, swimming towards a dollar bill on a fish hook 
and Fishing Line. This album has been in the news recently as the now-grown baby on its cover, Spencer Eldon, born 1991, is suing the estate of Kurt Cobain, his bandmates David Grohl and Chris Novoselic, and Mr. Cobain's widow, Courtney Love, among others. Mr. Eldon claims that, quote, defendants knowingly produced, possessed, and advertised commercial child pornography depicting Spencer, and they knowingly received value in exchange for doing so, unquote. Eldon further claims that he has suffered permanent harm because of the album cover, including emotional distress and a, quote, lifelong loss of income-earning capacity, unquote. To which we all say together, uh-huh, whatever. The launch party for the album started well enough, but the band members and their hangers-on were sucking down Jack Daniels as if it were vitamin water, and the inevitable rowdiness was not long in coming. One attendee recalled, quote, After the band finished ripping all the posters off the walls, bassist Chris Novoselic heaved a tamale at Kurt Cobain and guitarist-slash-vocalist with Earth Dylan Carlson. Kurt remembers retaliating with a salvo of guacamole. Soon food was flying everywhere with no regard for the industry geeks whose suits were getting splattered, unquote. <laughs> lovely. Steve Wells, who owned the restaurant in which all of this was taking place, remembered, quote, I guess I freaked about the whole situation. We rounded them up and with the help of the doormen, got them out of the door just in time for them all to barf on the curb, unquote. Says Nirvana bassist Chris Novoselic, quote, we were laughing. Oh, my God. We just got kicked out of our own record release party. Unquote. Good job, boys. Good job. Birthday wishes. Please, a quick happy birthday to two of our very favorite people and musicians. We wish the happiest of birthdays to the German pianist, teacher, and composer Clara Schumann, born Wieck who was born on this day in 1819, 202 years ago, in the Saxon city of Leipzig. She died on May 20th, 1896, at the age of 76, in Frankfurt am Main. And a big old birthday shout-out to the Austrian-American composer Arnold Franz Walter Schoenberg, who was born on this day in Vienna in 1874, 147 years ago. He died in his adopted hometown of Los Angeles on July 13, 1951, also at the age of 76. Finally, it's on to the person of the hour or of the date, as the case may be. I will confess that I am always a bit loath to write about and celebrate conductors. It's not that I have anything against conductors, it's just that so many of them spend so much of their time celebrating themselves that I feel, well, superfluous. On just those lines, when it comes to naked self-promotion and downright mythologizing, no conductor, 
And we mean not a one, not even Leonard Bernstein, who in many ways modeled his career on Stokowski's, could match Leopold Stokowski. I'll present a quick overview of his life and career, after which we'll delve into those aspects of that life and career that made Stokowski such a famous and such a paradoxical figure. Leopold Stokowski, a pocket biography. He was born in London, the son of Kopernik Joseph Boleslaw Stokowski, an English-born cabinet maker of Polish origin, and Annie Marion-born Moore Stokowski, an English-born housewife of Irish origin. The young Stokowski was trained as an organist and in 1903, at the age of 21, he earned a Bachelor of Music degree from Queen's College, Oxford. 1905 found the 23-year-old Stokowski living and working in New York. Then he was off to Paris to study conducting. In 1908, while in Paris, the now 26-year-old Stokowski heard that the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra would soon be hiring a new conductor. Stokowski lobbied hard for the job and was hired. His tenure at Cincinnati, brief though it was, was a great success. He virtually created the concept of Pops concerts and championed and performed the music of such living composers as Richard Strauss, Jean Sibelius, Sergei Rachmaninoff, Claude Debussy, Alexander Glazunov, Camille Sassons, and Edward Elgar. Despite his success there in Cincinnati, Stokowski abruptly resigned his position in April 1912, claiming he had become, quote, frustrated with the politics of the orchestra's board of directors, unquote. Right. Truth be told, the Philadelphia Orchestra was looking for a new conductor, and according to the pianist Oscar Levant, 1906 to 1972, writing in his book, a smattering of knowledge, Stokowski, quote, had the Philadelphia contract in his back pocket, unquote. Like Ben Franklin before him and Mike Schmidt after him, Stokowski made his fame in Philadelphia. It was in Philadelphia that Stokowski stopped using a baton and developed his trademark, look ma, only my hands, conducting technique. Rather than insist on regimented bowing from the strings, he allowed each player to bow any way they liked, and in doing so created the rich, string-heavy orchestral sound still known as the Philadelphia sound. He is credited with standardizing the orchestral seating plan as we know it today, with the violins to the conductor's left and the violas and cellos to the right. It was Stokowski, who convinced Mary Louise Curtis Bach, 1876-1970, to found Philadelphia's Curtis School of Music in 1924. Stokowski invented the so-called Youth Concert in Philadelphia in 1933. They have been a staple across the United States since. But what truly drove Stokowski's fame were his movie appearances, which portray him as an Olympian god of music. Among the movies he appeared in was the big broadcast of 1937, in which he conducted two 
of his own orchestral transcriptions of Bach organ works. Then he conducted and acted in 100 Men and a Girl with Diana Durbin and Adolf Monjou, also in 1937. And then there was Walt Disney's Fantasia of 1940, made in collaboration with Stokowski, who had even suggested the title. Accepting the jam session in the middle of the movie, Stokowski conducted all the otherwise almost non-stop music, which included his own transcription of Bach's Toccata and Fugue in D minor, and his orchestration of Mussorgsky's Night on Bald Mountain and the Ave Maria. During the course of the movie, Stokowski even got to chat and shake hands with Mickey Mouse himself, though Stokowski would later point out that, in fact, Mickey Mouse got to shake hands with him. I would tell you that that brief segment was incorporated into the 1999 sequel, Fantasia 2000. Stokowski left the Philadelphia Orchestra in 1941, turning its full directorship over to Eugene Ormandy, who had been Stokowski's co-director since 1935. The remaining 36 years of his life featured a seeming non-stop schedule of recording and conducting, including conducting gigs with the All-American Youth Orchestra, which Stokowski founded, the NBC Symphony Orchestra, where Stokowski replaced Arturo Toscanini for three years, the New York City Symphony Orchestra, which Stokowski founded, the Hollywood Bowl Symphony Orchestra, which Stokowski founded, the New York Philharmonic, where Stokowski was principal guest conductor, the Los Angeles Philharmonic, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, the Berlin Philharmonic, the Swiss Romand Orchestra, the French National Radio Orchestra, the Czech Philharmonic, the Symphony of the Air, the Houston Symphony, the American Symphony Orchestra, and the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, to name but a few. To Stokowski's eternal credit, from his earliest days as a conductor, he was race and gender blind in his hiring, something that put him in constant conflict with orchestra boards and management. All told, he conducted more than 7,000 concerts over the course of his career, which must, must be some sort of world record. Those thousands of concerts, his movie appearances, and later his television broadcasts brought Stokowski's particular brand of showmanship to a worldwide audience. He was, according to the New York Times, quote, the most perplexing and least explicable symphonic conductor of his time. Yes, perplexing. No one has yet figured out how, with almost no professional experience as a conductor, he managed to catch his first conducting job in Cincinnati at the age of 27. His glamour and glitz and success in Cincinnati notwithstanding, it's still not clear why the Philadelphia Orchestra passed over a passel of much more accomplished and experienced conductors and hired in their stead the 30-year-old Stokowski in 1912, paying him so much money that howls of protest were heard from every quarter of the orchestral world. 
Never was a conductor more high-handed in his treatment of composers' scores. In Cincinnati and beyond, Stokowski would make whatever changes he liked, saying of a score, quote, That's a piece of paper with some marking on it. We have to infuse life into it, unquote. To infuse life into Dvorak's New World Symphony, for example, Stokowski added a tam-tam, that's a giant gong, at one point. When the critic Irving Culloden demanded an explanation, Stokowski simply said, quote, I feel the need for a new color, a climax, unquote. When Stokowski left the Cincinnati Symphony in 1912 to go to the Philadelphia Orchestra, a critic wrote in the Cleveland Leader, quote, Thus ends, for Cincinnati at least, the drum and cymbal career of Leopold Stokowski, who made Beethoven dance on his ears, who made Brahms a puling, sickly sentimentalist, who calcined Strauss in more clashing and fighting colors than Strauss ever knew, and who Stokowski-ized each composer whom he took into his directorial hands." Unquote. In an interview in Time magazine in 1962, Stokowski asserted, quote, You must realize that Beethoven and Brahms did not understand instruments. Composers like Ravel, Debussy, and Mozart did, unquote. Really, maestro? Really? Stokowski's carefully practiced and choreographed stage persona, with his swept-back halo of hair, his haughty, emotionless facial expression, with his batonless hand and finger gestures more reminiscent of a rapper than an orchestral conductor, well, it was all pure performance art, something that had little or nothing to do with the music at hand and everything to do with the maestro. Beginning early in his tenure at the Philadelphia Orchestra, Stokowski would have the score of a work about to be performed placed on his conducting desk. He would then enter, take his position, and then dramatically toss the score to the floor, indicating that he would conduct from memory. Then there are the issues of his age, parentage, and accent. He lied constantly about his age, claiming to be five years younger than he was, despite common knowledge that his birth year was indeed 1882 and not 1887. Okay, okay, lots of people lie about their age, even when their birth certificates are public knowledge. Stokowski's birth certificate, signed by J. Claxton, the registrar at the General Office, Somerset House, London, in the parish of All Souls, County of Middlesex, indicates that he was born on April 18, 1882, at 13 Upper Marylebone Street, now New Cavendish Street, in the Marylebone District of London. But not only did Stokowski lie about the date of his birth, he also lied about the Irish ethnicity of his mother and the location of his birth, claiming to have been born alternately in Krakow, Poland, or Pomerania in East Prussia. According to Oliver Daniel, 
whose massive biography of Stokowski is considered the definitive source for his life and career, it was Stokowski's first wife, the pianist Olga Samarov, who convinced him to create a more exotic family background for himself, as Ms. Samarov had done for herself. She was born Lucy Mary Agnes Hickenlooper in Galveston, Texas. Something as well had to be done about Stokowski's London English accent. The New York Times music and dance critic Alan Hughes observed, quote, It, Stokowski's accent, was not that of a man born and bred in London, and it had no direct connection with any other culture. It was, presumably, one of his own devising out of sounds derived from several languages. In any case, it contributed to an aura of exoticism that was effective in the days when a conductor speaking plain English might have found the going rougher than one with an accent." Unquote. Over his long life, Stokowski played that aura to the hilt, and the musical and non-musical public alike ate it up. The women! Finally, there were the women. His first marriage, to the pianist Lucy Hickenlooper slash Olga Samaroff, lasted from 1911 until 1923. They had one daughter together. His second marriage, to Johnson and Johnson heiress Evangeline Love Brewster Johnson, 1897 to 1990, lasted from 1926 to 1937. They had two daughters together. Their marriage came to an end thanks to Stokowski's very public affair with the actress Greta Garbo, 1905 to 1990. In 1945, the 63-year-old Stokowski married the 21-year-old heiress and actress Gloria Vanderbilt, 1924 to 2019. They had two sons together and were divorced in 1955. In 1963, Ms. Vanderbilt married Wyatt Emery Cooper. Four years later, in 1967, she gave birth to her fourth and final child, the broadcast journalist Anderson Cooper. Stokowski's Legacy In the years following his death in 1977, for all of his recordings and dedication to new music and racial and gender equality, Stokowski came to be considered something of a joke, what with his phony accent, deficient music education, and self-glorification to the point of caricature. However, with time, there has been in some quarters a reappraisal of Stokowski, one well expressed by the noted English music critic and commentator David Mellor. Writing in Gramophone magazine in 1999, Mellor confessed, quote, One of the great joys of recent years for me has been the reassessment of Leopold Stokowski. When I was growing up, there was a tendency to disparage the old man as a charlatan. Today, it is all very different. Stokowski is now recognized as the father of modern orchestral standards. He possessed a truly magical gift of extracting 
a burnished sound from both great and second-rank ensembles. He also loved the process of recording, and his gramophone career was a constant quest for better recorded sound. But the greatest pleasure of all, for me, is his acceptance now as an outstanding conductor of 19th and 20th century music, including a lot that was at the cutting edge of contemporary achievement." Unquote. That's an appraisal that Stokowski could be proud of. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.